Paolo Coelho said that anxiety was born in the very same moment as mankind. And since we will never be able to master it, we will have to learn to live with it, just as we have learned to live with storms. And I've never felt anything more significant as that statement. There are a billion statistics out there that explain how prevalent anxiety is and so many resources. In 2022, anxiety levels have peaked for people ages 40 to 59. Panic disorders are affecting over 6 million people in the U.S. At least 3.6 of the population have anxiety because of those who have admitted it. But from what we know, a lot of people won't admit it. During the pandemic, 4 in 10 U.S. adults stated they had depression or anxiety-like symptoms. These incredibly high numbers of people experiencing anxiety and depression are not shocking per se, but we don't think about that. Even the National Alliance on Mental Illness states that one in every five American adults suffers from a mental illness of some kind. And their goal is to end the stigma that is associated with this by opening discussions and, you know, having more of this conversation about mental illness and why it's not this crazy thing of just, you know, the weirdos have all this mental illness. It's a common thing. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America shares that over 40 million adults, which is 19.1% of the population in the U.S., over the age of 18 has some sort of anxiety disorder. They're highly treatable, but only 36.9 of those are receiving treatment. And here we are in 2022 where we've talked about mental health and anxiety and everyone feels it's such a commonplace thing, but yet there's still such a stigma about this. And we just don't understand why. Why do we deal with this anxiousness and depression? Why are we okay with being so heavily stressed out? So on this talk today, we're going to talk about anxiety, why I started seeking treatment and my experiences, and why I think that people who are experiencing similar things should do the same. Welcome to Candidly Creative, a podcast from Creatively Caitlin that focuses on open, honest conversations. If you like what you hear, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at creatively underscore Caitlin or on my website, www.caitlinnorum.com. So over the past... I don't know, two years, I've experienced a lot of friends who have experienced quite a bit of anxiety. And I have over many, many situations encouraged them to seek help, whether that's through holistic measures, doing meditation, um, exercise and nutrition, finding ways to balance their lives. Or for those who aren't finding that balance using those methods, you know, seek treatment, you know, get on medication, talk to their physicians. And find something that's going to help them, you know, manage those, you know, panic attacks or on a daily basis, manage their anxiety. I have been a complete ally in working on that, but I have completely, in the same sense, ignored my own issues. And I had at one point come to realize that I myself was having increased anxiety 
I grew up as a very anxious child. I, you know, seek out control. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a control freak because I do let go of it sometimes. I don't always need it. But I do have a self-preservation and a learned habit of needing control to compensate for um, some of this anxiety that I have. So I grew up in the state of being highly sensitive, having really low self-confidence, having to be aware of others' mental states, emotional states, um, and being really protective over myself and my situation. So by doing that, I became really, really controlling over my entire scenario, which just breeds this anxious feeling where I, I have to make sure that I'm always checking everything. I'd have to know what's going on, what's happening, why, be in control of things. And when things start to feel like they're spinning out of control and I'm losing grip on that, it gets very overwhelming, very um, out of control feeling very, very quickly. And when that happens, it gets very dark very quick, which leads to a lot of feelings of depression and, and high anxiety that come out. So then I had switched jobs in April and it was a relief, honestly. But the reality was that I was starting a new job in a new environment and it was scary. It was a hard transition, but this was a job with less stress and it was a much more supportive environment. But I found myself feeling overwhelmed, feeling that crushing weight of failure and anxiety, something that I just couldn't get out of my my traditional ideas of just meditation and nutrition and movement, how to ground myself, just weren't cutting it. But it wasn't just the job. It was the transition of the time. My relationship was going well, but we'd been in it for over two years and it just didn't feel quite where I thought we'd be. We weren't moving exactly as fast as I thought we should be. Because I think when you're in your late 30s, you feel a certain pressure to move a little bit faster than you would in your 20s. Um, I was turning 37 and my biological clock is ticking, you know. When we are able to get to that point of trying to have kids, will I even be able to have them? You know, I'm an older woman at this point when it comes down to having children. Is this even going to be a possibility? It's something to be concerned about. And my overall mental and physical health was a concern. I'm worried about my family, worried about the job, worried about literally everything in my life right now. And everything was causing so much stress as I was taking stock of all of the things in my life while I was transitioning to this new world of work at home in in this new environment at this new job. And as I was making these changes and making all these improvements, I still felt really stuck and I felt all of this pressure and I still felt really bad. No matter how good I was doing, I still felt like I was failing and it would send me down these doom spirals. So a doom spiral to me is, (laughs) I don't know what they're actually called, but it's what I've, I've heard them called this before, but I don't know if that's actually a term. Um, But for example... I had a chart on my door that had been taped up. It was just a visual representation of my weight loss and workout plan. You know, it was little bubbles of how much, how many pounds I had lost and a check off of how many times I've gone to the gym this month, just to kind of be a in your face reminder of your goals. 
and my boyfriend had asked me and in an encouraging way just how I was doing and where my progress was and I knew I hadn't been doing that great I hadn't been going to the gym as much I had not been that successful in losing weight so I was ashamed of where I was at he wasn't asking because he was like wow look at you you weren't doing very good he was asking because he was trying to be supportive but it sent me down this spiral of you can see that these numbers are not marked off therefore you know I'm failing you're judging me therefore I'm ugly and fat and you're gonna break up with me just not rational thought at all another example he had messaged me a picture of a celebrity that was in his terms chubbier than one of my cousins who's quite slim but they had a similar look and he had met said oh it looks like your cousin but chubbier and his point was that wow I can't believe they look so much alike not that she is fat and my cousin is super skinny it was that it was kind of incredible how closely they look in my head though this celebrity is at best average size and much smaller than me and I'm thinking if you think this woman is chubby then I of course am this horrific blob of a human who is disgusting to you and therefore obviously we are then gonna break up because you hate me which is completely irrational and just a doom spiral of I think I spent oh a day or a day and a half just spiraling on this concept that he wasn't attracted to me and he couldn't possibly love someone who looked like me or was as heavy as me because if he thought the celebrity was chubby he must be absolutely horrified by me now obviously that is a completely irrational thought but the reality of those is that these doom spirals were happening more and more and it wasn't just relationship wise it was work wise i would have one tough moment and it would spiral into, okay, I struggled with this one small piece. I had to explain it to my boss in a way that they understood. They gave me criticism and it was constructive criticism on how I can handle it better next time, which is not a problem in most scenarios. It's like, great, thank you for the learning moment. But in this case, because my anxiety is triple, just effed to all high hell, I am just gonna get fired because they obviously think I can't do my job and they're just trying to get me to do the job that I can do and watch me fail miserably. Just nothing makes sense. And these doom spirals are just this irrational thought. I cannot find my ground and I just can't find a way to get myself out of them. And I finally hit this breaking point of one morning getting ready for work I was putting on my mascara and I was actively crying the mascara off as I was putting it on. And I think I had to reapply it three or four times, redo my makeup. And I was talking to my friends via um, Marco Polo and Messenger um, afterwards about what was going on and why I was dreading work, but how I knew I was good at work and I'm a good project manager and I'm, I'm so good at my job and I know my clients like me and my coworkers have complimented me and my supervisors have given me positive feedback, but I feel like I'm constantly failing and I'm gonna get fired because I suck. 
And of course, because they're not completely insane at the moment, they were reminding me that that's not normal, that's not rational, and it's not okay to feel this way. Obviously, none of my techniques of calming myself down, relaxing, getting myself back to a rational point, nothing was working. And I just couldn't find my ground. So I just decided that during my lunch break, I was going to do some research, try to find an online resource of some kind. I didn't want to try to get into my physician because trying to get in there usually was three to four weeks down the line. She was always so busy and I really just was embarrassed and I didn't want to talk to her about it. I had just started going to her for the first time a couple months before that and I didn't want to you know, schedule appointment. Hey, by the way, even though I said I didn't have anxiety two months ago, guess what? I actually do have really severe anxiety. Can I have some pills? So I just, I just felt really embarrassed to go back and then say, actually, I do need help. So I went online and I'd researched a bunch of options and I ended up settling with a company called Lemonade. I completed the online consultation. They booked a call with me, the nurse practitioner walked me through all my questions, verified all my information, and then answered um, a question and answer kind of session with me just to make sure I was comfortable with everything and was sure I understood everything about anxiety medication and had any of my fears kind of dissuaded. So it was a really good experience in my opinion. I'm sure all of the services are very, very similar and there's plenty of them out there. The experience of taking the meds I was of course when they asked if I wanted to have them picked up at the pharmacy I freaked out and I don't know why because I could have just got my medication that day but I just again I don't know the the idea of going into a pharmacy to pick up my medication just felt so overwhelmingly embarrassing like it's just medication who cares like who's gonna honestly judge me they don't give two craps but I just couldn't do it I just decided to wait the three business days and have it shipped to me I received it and started taking it on a Sunday that first day oh my the first day symptoms were horrific I was so exhausted so tired and down like low. So with anxiety, you have those super high peaks and with depression, you have the super low lows. So the anxiety medications often like level you out. And it is interesting at how level I got so quickly. And the nurse practitioner had prepared me and said that, you know, for the first three to five days, You're going to have possibly some severe side effects. They should settle down. And once it gets into your body and gets into your system fully, then it'll take two to four weeks to actually get into your system and start working on anxiety itself. And then it takes, you know, anywhere from six to eight weeks to start actually doing its job and, and like taking care of the anxiety. So it's not like it's a quick fix, but like, I'm like, okay, three to five days to like get in my system and not cause like massive side effects. Fine. Like it's going to suck, but like, okay. But the first day after being so tired, I I slept for 13 hours, which is definitely not normal. I'm like a five to seven hour sleeper and 13 hours is an obscene amount of time for me. Woke up exhausted and having to work. I was just, I could not bring myself to even care. Like I was completely one note. I had zero emotion. I had no focus. I couldn't find any sort of oomph at all, for lack of a better term. And then day three, it wasn't much better. Like, yeah, I was slightly more awake, I guess, but very much 
not <laughs> much better. And at the end of day three, I realized I've been working two days like this. If this is how the medication is going to make me feel, I physically can't take this. So I said to myself, I'm going to give it the three to five days. So if by the end of the week, I'm still feeling like this, I'm going to have to reach out to Lemonade and tell them flat out, I can't take this medication because I can't work on it. And I have to be able to do my job. I went to bed on Tuesday, just kind of like, well, let's see, hopefully tomorrow's better. And I woke up on Wednesday and the first thing in my head was, oh my God, I'm a real boy. Just full on Pinocchio. (laughs) Like I was basically gone from this wooden fake thing to an actual person. I suddenly had the ability to have some emotion. I had focus. It felt so strange to go from nothing to being back to myself. And, you know, I definitely still had anxiety. That wasn't fixed, but it felt so good to have the ability to laugh again that that joy helped me get through the things that were more stressful. So a lot of my friends had said that six to eight weeks is really what kind of makes you that new person that doesn't have to deal with the anxiety. And so I kind of waited those six to eight weeks to see what had fully come into effect. And I'm at that eight week point now. And I think that the anxiety medication has truly helped me. I won't say that I don't have anxiety anymore. I won't say that I don't have doom spirals or anything because if I get overwhelmed and and freak out, I'm still going to freak out. That that's not gone. I still haven't fully learned how to deal with extreme stress. That still needs to be worked on through therapy and learning how to manage stress. However, the reality of it is I don't feel the the constant edge. That kind of if you've ever had an addiction to like cigarettes or drugs or alcohol or literally anything, a craving to sugar <laughs> at that edge where you're just like, I need it. That that crazy edge is gone from that anxiety where it's like, I feel like I'm about to break. I'm not there anymore. I don't have the edge. Like, yeah, I can get pushed and I'm, I can get there where I'm freaking out, but I can calm down a lot easier too. And I will preface the next piece that um, anything that I'm about to say for medical advice is definitely my own opinion. I'm not a medical um, physician. I'm not trained in this. It is completely my own opinion and based on my own research, my friends' experiences, what I've experienced and what I've just learned through my years of watching people experience this kind of mental health through working as a CNA and watching documentaries. Like, it's just my observed knowledge. I would never recommend anyone follow any of my suggestions without first talking to their medical provider. So if you do listen to anything that I'm about to say and think it would fit into your care plan, please first talk to your healthcare professional and maybe talk to them about how you can incorporate into your care plan. And then, you know, if it will work out for your care plan, then that's perfect. But don't just assume that I know what I'm talking about and what's going to work best for you. That being said, what I feel is that like when you're having a health crisis, if one piece of your body is off, the whole body tends to be off and you need to kind of look at it from a multifaceted way. So if you're having a physical ailment, you really need to work on your physical, mental, spiritual, um, environmental health all around. 
And similarly, I think if you're having a mental health crisis or anxiety or any of these kind of things, you need to attack it the same way. So I'm a firm believer that an anxiety med is part of the toolkit that you can use to attack anxiety and depression um, or any mental illness that's not a disorder that cannot be managed um, without that drug. Again, if you have a medication that you are taking because you've been prescribed it to manage your illness, please don't stop taking it without seeking professional help. That can be super dangerous and also cause some pretty wonky side effects. So it's best to stay on your medication, talk to your healthcare professional about switching, reducing, um, or potentially going off if you if that's an option um, for your case. But I personally, even going into taking anxiety meds, did not want to be on them for long term. So I had still at this point do not plan on staying on them for life. So my plan is to work on those other areas that are going to ground me, teach me how to work within my my life to manage my stress levels, manage my anxiety, to get to a point where I have a maintained level and can process things in a healthy manner. And part of that is becoming healthy all around, which is part of exercising, keeping my body healthy. I don't think that you can be sitting all the time or laying all the time tight Um, confined, not having strong, healthy muscles, flexible muscles, a flexible body, and then feel good. Um, Even right now, like my back hurts, my body hurts, my hips are super tight. I'm uncomfortable and I know that I don't feel great. When I do work out and when I do stretch and I do do the things that make my body feel good, I personally feel good. Plus working out releases the chemicals in your brain that help regulate those, you know, the happy hormones. So I think that's all part of it as well. Is it a replacement for medication? No, but I think if you can manage your anxiety and depression without medication in that capacity, then exercise can be a great tool to replace out the medication. So part of the toolbox can also be nutrition. I think the chemicals in our food are, you know, we eat a highly processed, highly chemicalized diet. A lot of our food is boxed, dried, canned. You know, it's not fresh. It's not whole. It's not from a local farmer. You know, it's just not, it's not always feasible to follow that plan. And I can appreciate that. But to try to stay as whole and healthy as possible while avoiding the things that make your body feel less happy. So I know that eating pizza and pasta and greasy food in the moment feels really fun. But afterwards, I have severe heartburn. My stomach hurts. I am bloated. I don't feel good for about two days. I have edema in my legs from too much salt intake. My body does not like that food. When I have salads, when I have protein-rich vegetable, rich green leafy vegetables and fruit-rich meals, I have higher energy. I sleep better. I don't have digestive issues that I have with other things. So it's it's listening to your body on the nutrition and, and hearing it when it says, I don't like this, maybe we shouldn't eat it. Um, another toolkit, another piece of the toolkit is your spiritual health 
And that's not necessarily speaking of religion. Yes, religion can be 100% part of that component. But if you're not religious, maybe your spiritual component is finding a moment to be present, present in nature, present in your life. You know, however you spiritually connect with yourself, you know, it's about finding the oneness, the presence of being and the mindfulness of being at ease with yourself. I don't believe that spirituality has to be about a God necessarily. I think it can be about just finding peace. I mean, my spiritual practice is unique to me and it's what I do to find my peace and what may be unique to you may be your prayer with God every morning and Bible study. Maybe it's, you know, practicing Hinduism. Maybe it's your Muslim prayers and maybe it's your walk in nature every morning. Whatever that may be, maybe it's sitting quietly just breathing. (laughs) Whatever it may be, it's finding your own peace. That to me is spirituality. It's finding your own oneness and your own peace. The mental health aspect is just a component of it. Those are all tools to make that mental health piece work. I'm a big fan of aromatherapy. I think scent is a big help in life. You have scent that triggers memories and triggers feelings. So I like to have a very specific set of um, scents in my life. I have a few different ones that give me different senses of purpose that I use in my diffuser to brighten my mood, to relax me, to make me feel like I'm productive. And it puts me at a different mental state. Maybe it's placebo effect. I don't know. But I find that that aromatherapy part of my toolkit is helpful. When it comes down to it, I think that the anxiety medication is a tool that can be used concurrently with your other pieces of the toolkit, your exercise, your nutrition, your spirituality things, your meditation, your aromatherapy, your, you know, whatever it requires to get you into that state of a calm, relaxed, healthy area of your life. Um, So my experiences so far, you know, I talked about the side effects that I experienced. My friends have been extraordinarily supportive It's actually been really interesting to have them open up to me as I explain my situation and hearing how many of them are actually on anxiety meds as well um, or have been on meds and have gone off of them um, and just hearing their experiences. As you are going through things, it shouldn't be shameful to share your experience and, you know, open yourself up to people in your circle that you trust and start talking about it because you'd be surprised how many people are going through a very similar thing. The one person I did have a weird reaction from was my mom. She, I thought was gonna be very supportive because she does have a medical background. However, when we did talk through things, she was actually mostly surprised that I decided to go on medication. She kind of thought it was more of a everyone's stressed out, everyone has anxiety kind of feel, and that I have handled it so well for so long that it wasn't bad enough. And like, what has changed that has caused me to do it now? Do I need some help? Is there something that she needs to do different? It was a supportive attempt that came across a little judgmental um, when she was talking to me. 
But ultimately, when we finally actually had a big conversation about it, she had had said that, you know, I have been anxious for a long time as well. And it's one of those things that you just deal with and you find ways to relax yourself. I'm like, right. But if you're anxious and you can't find a way to just relax yourself because you can't find your grounding then sometimes you need the extra assistance. And that's where I'm currently at. And she understood that. And she's been very supportive. The one piece she was very, very concerned about was a condition called tardive dyskinesia. Um, A lot of psychiatric and um, mental health pills, and I do use that as a broad statement, Um, have a side effect of this condition called tardive dyskinesia. It is an uncontrollable facial movement. It's almost like a tick caused by these medications sometimes. And it's common enough. It's not that everyone gets it. Um, But when you do get it, it's one of those symptoms that doesn't just go away when you stop taking the med. Once you have it, it's there for pretty much life. Um, I think there's a time where if you start having those symptoms, you can stop taking the medication and it will go away. But if you continue taking the medication at some point, your brain just retains it. I'm not 100% familiar with it. I I have taken care of patients when I was a CNA who had tardive dyskinesia and they dealt with the facial tics often and it caused a lot of like sores on their face because they would lick their lips uncontrollably or they would move their jaw and so their jaw would be really sore. It's something that was really concerning for her and so I told her you know I reminded her that yes I know what tartar dyskinesia is. I'm aware of what it looks like and what it feels like. Well not what it feels like but I'm aware of what it is so I can watch for it and I've not had the symptoms. At the time that I told her I was on the medication, it had already been four weeks. And like, if I do start feeling like I'm getting those symptoms, I'm definitely going to stop taking the medication and talk to my healthcare provider and explain I can't be on this medication because I'm having these symptoms. So she relaxed because, you know, she expressed her concern and we're on the same page. So it was it was an interesting conversation to kind of get past the fear that she had and get to that support once that fear was aside. So it was a big deal. But um, I think that's kind of what a lot of people have is that you get to this point where like you're a little bit afraid for the people who are going through it. You know, if you hear someone's got severe anxiety or severe depression, you worry for them. Like, okay, are you okay? Is there something I can do for you? Like, how can I help you? And a lot of times it's like, you can't stop just be there and support me, but like stop trying to fix me. And people want to fix. So it's not an easy thing to just like stop doing. One thing that I do encourage you is that finding resources that'll work for you is super important. I went through an online resource called Lemonade. There are several online resources um, such as HERS, NERCS, Cerebral, Um, I'm sure there's a ton more that I'm not aware of um, or not as aware of that are very helpful and not super expensive, but I don't have personal experience with them. But they're available for those who don't have insurance or just need additional help. If you do have insurance, you can always talk to your primary care physician. 
they're a great resource. I know it's kind of embarrassing or it's a little bit, you know, weird to talk about it sometimes, but they're going to be a great resource for you. And and insurance does cover this stuff. So if you have it, utilize it because it's typically cheaper. Um, I found that going through Lemonade was not as, as cheap as going through my primary care physician. So even though I was going through Lemonade, I've actually transferred over and my prescription is now through my doctor because she can prescribe it to me for, I think it's, I get it for $9 a month versus I was paying $25 a month. You know, I find what works. If those aren't options and finances are an issue, there's usually resources in your area that are available for anyone who's got a little bit of an economic disadvantage. So in the Green Bay area, Brown County um, area, there's things like the New Community Health Clinic. Um, those are typically resources for a little bit more of the mental illness, but they are available. NewCap has some health stuff, especially focused on poverty and the economically disadvantaged. Brown County Human Services has um, a lot of options available. I know, I don't know exactly what they are. I would have to research further, but I know that they are a good resource to reach out to. And I know that there's something called a community support program, which I believe has a lot of like the support groups and actually can like help with like the talking through things um, or finding resources for you. Um, And if those aren't even an option or you're just not sure where to start, you can always reach out to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So they have the helpline that is 1-800-950-NAMI. If you are in a crisis, you can text NAMI to 741-741. Or if you're in an actual like crisis where you're feeling um, thoughts of suicide or um, feel like you want to harm yourself, there's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or you can contact that crisis text line by texting TALK to 741-741. Those are vital resources that exist for people to help you find the help that you need to help you talk through the issues that you're going through at at that urgent moment and to really just help you through the moment. You're never alone. That's the biggest thing. You know, whatever you're going through, you're not alone in this. There are obviously hundreds of thousands of people in America alone and around the globe that are experiencing the same thing that you are or something very similar. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. And speaking of being ashamed, why do we still have stigma about this? I mean, it's it's around. It's, you know, we have mental illness. We've been talking about this since I was a kid. And it shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of. We've been talking about it and educating people about the causes and the treatment options. And, you know, why wouldn't we be seeking medical treatment? But for some reason, there's still this negative attitude about those who have to go get mental help. So even with anxiety, you still feel like you are considered an other, like you're unpredictable, you're weak, you just need to toughen up. You know, you just you have this thing where if you can't handle the stress and anxiety of daily life, you're seen as someone who just can't handle it. You can't hack it. But that's not the reality. Life shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be about just managing life and dealing with the worst of the worst. 
you should be allowed to use every resource possible to succeed. And there's this great article that I found. It's called Stigma Makes Anxiety Worse and Builds a Barrier to Treatment, But Four Simple Steps Help Fight It. It's from anxiety.org. And there are four simple steps. Like I said, um, the first one is talk openly about mental health. Obviously, that's why I'm doing this podcast today. And if you have anxiety, it's like, why are we not talking about it? Why is this Why is this such a secret? I don't know why I made such a big deal out of talking about it to my friends and family. But if just opening up and finding the courage to share your story helps, you know, somebody else to share their story too and to seek the help they need, then great. Why are we not making this a normal thing? I mean, think about all the incredible people out there who have these kind of mental illnesses and mental disorders that have been super successful in life. Think about um, Carrie Fisher. She had bipolar and she was just huge inspiration. She was obviously really super successful um, in Star Wars and in her life. She struggled with a lot of things, but then when she came out and explained that she had bipolar, she went on for the rest of her life teaching about the disease and means such an inspiration. Like you can speak up and educate others about the stereotypes and attitudes. Like it's an incredible opportunity. The second step is be conscious of your language. It's really, really easy to label someone as anxious or depressing or sad or whatever, but that's defining a person. So the idea is that you're supposed to make it more humanizing so that the person has anxiety or the person is dealing with anxiety. So it's not so much he is that person, it's just something that's a, that's a piece of a puzzle, not him as a whole. That's a harder thing for me because I don't associate it as well, but I can understand that it's same as if someone would say, if someone called me stupid, I would not enjoy it (laughs) because I don't like being called stupid. I'm not stupid. But if I don't understand something, I don't understand molecular biology. You're right. I sure don't. (laughs) It's not something that I'm familiar with, but I'm not stupid. It's finding ways to separate it and make it more humanizing. And it's just a smaller piece of that person's life. Step three is listening without judgment and be available and empathetic when someone talks about their own anxiety. And the biggest issue, this is what happened with my mom, for example, avoid diminishing their struggle. So statements like, oh, everybody gets stressed and do you think you're overreacting or fix it statements like, well, just try and relax or calm down. That doesn't help anything. (laughs) So when you start using those statements, it feels really, really judgy when you're on the other side of it. So it's just understanding that you're just listening. You're open to that person explaining how they're feeling and you're not trying to fix them you're just there to listen and if they want to have your opinion great you're welcome to provide that at that time but the overly fix it and judgmental statements are really really not helpful but if you have someone who is opening up to you and comfortable they've already thought about those things probably like they've already tried to relax they've already you know been thinking that everybody gets stressed so why am i freaking out allowing them to be who they are with you and get comfortable with the subject 
really helps the conversation blossom if you start forcing the conversation to direct toward anxiety like oh well let's talk about your anxiety they're probably going to shut down really quick so just listening and being open to how they want to talk about it's going to be really really helpful and then lastly number four remember that everybody is unique and individual and that they have so many different aspects to who they are as a person and if you have someone who has anxiety it's just one tiny tiny piece of their puzzle it doesn't make up who they are it's not a defining aspect so even if they're openly talking about it if they're openly explaining their situation and how they're dealing with it that's not the only thing they are there's so much more to them that is of value and maybe they're just sharing their story because they want to advocate for that but they have so much more to say and so much more to share out there too so don't just close off everything else about them and assume that person has anxiety and that's who they are they obviously have more to their puzzle so maybe they have anxiety but that anxiety has taught them to do certain things a certain way and they are the best event planner on the planet you would never know because you didn't think to ask or didn't think to think outside of their box the whole point of today's podcast is just to encourage people to open up about anxiety obviously today's story was my own and trying to reduce the stigma that still for some reason exists you would think in 2022 we would not be having this conversation because we've been having this conversation since I was a little one. And, you know, it's been, oh, it's normal to have all these things. Well, it's still normal. I don't know why we still struggle with it. But even in my mid 30s, I struggled to find the courage to go seek help. I thought I was really weak for not being able to handle life. And, you know, you don't have to deal with anxiety and mental health issues and all these other things just because you feel like you should be stronger or you should be doing it just fine. You're not alone. You don't have to do it by yourself. And one more time, that NAMI helpline is 1-800-950-NAMI or you can text NAMI to 741-741. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. You can also text them by texting TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. If you like what you heard on this podcast, make sure you follow me on Spotify or SoundCloud to hear the latest. And follow me on Instagram and TikTok for more content. Also, head over to the website to see all that Creatively Caitlin offers, from design services to photography, branding to consultant work, and more. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy.